Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Why should CBUS members have insurance through CBUS Super? Maybe it's because we understand the risks of working in our industries. Maybe it's because we offer cover that is tailored to protect building and construction workers even those working at heights. Or maybe it's all of these reasons. So why not consider CBUS Super? CBUS for all of us. To consider if CBUS is right for you, visit cbussuper.com.au for a copy of the PDS. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. This is the final word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lennon on Core Edition. We've decided uh, during uh, the period of isolation and shutdown that we're going to dust off some of our interviews from the back catalogue um, on the basis that uh, people might have a bit more time to, to fill than, than usual. And we have a lot of interviews from uh, years gone by that we think are worth uh, yeah dusting off again and, and presenting a second time. And let's be honest, who actually ever has the time to manually scroll back through... Uh, <laughs> however many dozens or hundreds of episodes that a show that you listen to has done. So if we put them back up front, you might say, oh, I haven't heard that one, and uh, it, it might be a good way to spend some of your time. And we'll also do a little bit of nerd pledge uh, before we get to the interview proper, because uh, obviously we've had uh, quite a few people uh, drop us a, a, a nerd pledge in recent times, which is fantastic, and, and we'll come to that in a sec. But the, the first encore edition, if you like, which will, um, as I mentioned on the, on the main show a couple of days ago, we'll put out one a fortnight and the other alternate week will be the Calling the Shots podcast, the history of cricket commentary with, with Daniel Norcross and myself. But um, yes, the first of these uh, refurbed interviews is with Harsha Bogle, Jeff, a, a man who's been a, a great friend and, and mentor to us. And um, we recorded this interview in, in Perth in December 2018. It was our Christmas edition, wasn't it? We, we put it out on, on Christmas Eve. And um, he's been such a yeah generous and supportive part of the media fraternity with the final word and coming on the show and really going warts and all on, on what are to be a commentator back to the very start. Yeah, well, if you want to imagine Hasha Bogle wearing a little Santa hat, um, you can <laughs> have that image in your head through this whole podcast because it was initially done with a bit of a bit of sepia-tinged Christmas sort of um, current nostalgia. What's the? I'm pretty sure there must be a German word for 
the feeling when you're nostalgic for an event while it's still happening. You're, <laughs> you're, you're nostalgic for how you will feel about it in the years to come looking back. And I know that feeling very, very well. Having been the mini it, grand finals, you feel nostalgic before you even get there. Yeah, you feel, you would have felt it on, on the floor at dance floor at Ding Dongs at four in the morning any number of times. You would have thought, I'll look back on this night a certain way. And, um, and, and this, this moment will never happen again. This moment will never come my way again. So, look, that's that's a bit like what it felt like at the time, um, but here we are. Now we actually get to be nostalgic about it and look back. Yeah. It was well, it was quite it, the summer that one, the seventeen eighteen uh, series when, uh, sorry eighteen nineteen eighteen nineteen when, yeah. when India came over um, and and beat Australia two one as you would have seen if you'd watched the the recent documentary. Um, it, it devoted a fair bit of time to that series, the documentary on the Australian team, and it, it was quite the busy summer for you and I as well. Yeah, that, that's right. So we were travelling around. We did four test matches back to back. We were in Adelaide, then Perth, then Melbourne and Sydney. As I say, Harsha was with us um, throughout. I just spent the previous four or five months working with Harsha during the English summer. And of course, we went on to do the World Cup and all the rest of it. And yeah, I, I guess sometimes I have to sort of step back from the whole thing and, and, um, and wonder why he, he has been so good to us. And I don't, I don't mean that on, on, on grounds of his personality. I mean, on grounds of like, he's such a massive superstar in India. I mean, it's hard to think of a, a bigger mm. name in cricket who doesn't play than, than Harsha Bogle, which isn't to say he didn't play. And he explains that, if I recall correctly, in the interview talking about his schoolboy career. So he has an intimate knowledge of playing the game. But um, but yeah, he sort of uh, really has been um, keen to take us under his wing, I suppose. And uh, that's why he was happy to give us this time. And yeah, he's, he's uh, turned into a, a genuine mate uh, over over the last few years. And um, that's why we thought it would be yeah good to get him on the show initially and, and a nice one to roll out. Uh, and, and as I say, we've got a few of them in the back catalogue. I think we've done about 15 or 16 now, long-form interviews. Harsha Bogle um, being the most recent of those. Of course, we've had Lawrence Booth on this week too, talking about wisdom. So um, there's quite a bit there recently. But uh, yeah, there's a few of these former players and commentators and, and whatever else who we really enjoyed making the programs at the time. They were well-received and thought, what, what better time than, than to bring them back? Yeah, so we'll be digging through that archive and re-releasing those over the weeks to come. Uh, if you've already heard them and you want, to get rid of them, you can always just um, do, go delete from my library or whatever, and it will disappear from your feed. If you can't wait for the next one, you can always go and trawl through the archives yourself and figure out what's there. Uh, shall we do a little bit of nerd pledging before we get to Harsha? We must. We must, Jeff. Let's do some nerd pledge. <laughs> Let's just. Get, we've just got a couple that we want to do today. Uh, nerd pledge, of course, is the game that we play with people on our patron page, where they support the show by sending us a, a pledge in the form of dollars and cents where the number relates to a cricketing number and we have to work out what that number is. So Abhilash Singh is first cab off the rank, first of two cabs that's fairly sparsely populated rank this week because we're just going to do a couple um, b- before the show. But Abhilash Singh has joined up, thank you, and he has sent through $2.24. What does two two four mean, Adam? Well, I tell you, should I tell you what it means to me? Because there was yeah, a, immediately I saw something and I thought, in, in keeping with the theme, you know, Abhilash Singh, I'm assuming, is an India supporter, Harsha Bogle, of course. And 224 was the innings that MS Dhoni scored in 2013, the double hundred against Australia in the, was it the first test of that first series? Test, at, yep. at Chennai. 
I think it's his highest score as well. I think it was yep. the, yeah, the best of his career, that 224, where he absolutely massacred Australia's bowlers. Um, Australia went over there reasonably bullish, um, performed pretty well. Michael Clark made a, a great 100. Warner made some runs. Moses Enriquez was in that team and made some runs. Ed Cowan got stumped, I remember, in the first innings. Um, I, I actually remember this vividly. Stumped. For, I'm, I'm pretty sure he was stumped off uh, Ravi Ashwin for 29 coming down the wicket trying to hit one over he came down and hit a 6 over long on or long off and then he tried to do it again and got stumped because he'd been told he needed to be more aggressive and more proactive um, when right. that wasn't his game so that all happened Australia made a decent score and then MSD said nah that wasn't it. They made 400 or so, and he came out and made 600 for India by smashing that double 100 yeah. everywhere. Yeah, I, I'm glad, as I say, I'm glad we've got an, an Indian number off the top here. It's quite nice. Yeah, we didn't know each other at that point, uh, Jeff, um, but uh, it became known to me later that this was the first test match you were doing for uh, what became White Line Wireless. So this is when you're on the sofa in the box of dreams yeah. uh, calling um, this test. And uh, it, it, it corresponds with when I had exactly the same idea. I didn't execute it. You did. We found this out many years later. But, um, <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, so I, I kind of like the idea of you being there um, in the old Davy Street recording studio. Mm. with. Um, can you recall who was part of your broadcast team for the very first test match? I think what actually happened was because the ABC pulled out so late, I reckon by the time we got our act together, it was the third test of that series oh, right, so I don't right. think we actually called the first one um, okay. obviously I watched it intensely but we hadn't found the equipment and got the people and sorted out how to do it so I'm pretty sure we came online for Mahali would have been the third of that series yep I'm when Shane Watson the, um, was uh, the, the, the test that Shane Watson skipped yeah Yes, uh, the, the homework gate, the Mahali 4, all the rest of it. Um, Steve Smith came back into the team for the first time since the ashes of 10-11. So right. it was a momentous test match in a range of ways. He came back and made 92. So mm. I think I was just watching Dhoni rather than commentating that match. I, I had a weird experience where I was at a uh, one of my best mates, uh, Bucks Do's. I mean, I was working in oh, politics, God. so it was, it was rare that I got a chance to get away, but we went up to Byron Bay for a weekend. It wasn't a Bucks turn or a stag do in, in the way you might think it was very sedate in those terms, but um, we definitely en enjoyed ourselves uh, at the pub, and you know, as you do, and we were watching Michael Clark bat. Uh, and then watching James Pattinson bowl and, and looked, looked a million bucks and, and all the rest of it. But... Um, uh, the next day, so day what would have been day three of the test match, Nathan Lyon, who I've been playing club cricket with a couple of years before, you know, his first test in, in India, was it possibly his... Yeah, his yeah first, that, of course, it must have been his first test in India because he debuted in, in 2011. And um, yeah, yeah on, the way, on the way back to Canberra um, from where we were in Byron, we were all at the airport huddled around a phone watching Nathan bowl uh, and bowling Tenduka through the gate, uh, if I recall mm. correctly, uh, and looking bang on to do well in India and you press fast forward get to the other end at Canberra maybe two hours later and Donny was on a hundred odd went back to my flat and uh, um, he pulverised Lyon so much so that he was dropped I think from, from the second test side up having conceded in excess of 200 runs I think he took four for but it was like yeah four for 230 or, or something like that mm. uh, and Donny went on to yeah as you say make 224 which was the the highest score from an Indian skipper I reckon something like that I have a recollection of it being a, a score that uh, I think yeah when he was captain I don't think anyone made a higher score as captain best caveat that because I'm sure that there would have been Indian players who've been captain who've made more than 224 including Sachin of course but um, I reckon Saurav Ganguly did I reckon he his highest was two some two 
240? I guess the question so, is, that I, I reckon that Dhoni one was highest as Indian captain at the time, though. So, I mean, in, in any case, it was a, it was a momentous uh, sort of innings for Dhoni because, I mean, um, it was sort of delivering on the promise that he would absolutely take down Australia in a test match one day, um, mm. having sort of done so in, in white ball cricket many times. And that set India well on their way to their 4-0 thrashing of Australia, which had significant repercussions, of course, Mickey Arthur was sacked uh, before the next time Australia played a test match. The coach, um, he was replaced by Darren Lehman. Uh, I mean, it probably um, it was, was at the time when Australian cricket started to get in the news for all the wrong reasons, Homework Gate being the most notable of those. So, mm. yes, yeah, so an eventful uh, a few weeks in India, uh, which was started off, as you say, in Chennai when, when Dhoni took Australia apart. I've got the numbers for you, Adam. Nathan Lyon, three for 215 in there that first innings. He bowled Tendulkar for 81. He got Virat Kohli for 107, and then he got Ravi Ashwin out. So it's not exactly the day you want as a bowler. Yeah, it was brutal. I remember towards the end, Dhoni was just... I think his first 100 was a relatively sedate 100 by Dhoni's standards. Yeah. And then he just absolutely took off from about 130 to 224. He, he racked that up in, in the space of about an hour. It was astonishing um, batting what, what would have been late on the third day and made sure that India couldn't lose. I've got a, another idea, which it, it almost certainly won't be this because it's it's like... The, I, I, <laughs> I know there's something would, good coming it, when you say that. You're, you're like, I know this isn't it, but I want to talk about it anyway. Well, it, it's a sort of thing where, um, look, I, I've got down in the weeds. Um, I, 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 I'll go behind the curtain a bit. I don't have access to my computer right now, so I've done this on my phone and took a bit longer than usual. But um, uh, right, so Fred Root was the 224th player um, to turn out in Test cricket for England. He did so uh, in, a, in three Test matches in 1926, three Ashes Test matches in 1926. England won that series 1-0. It was a pretty Any relation fi- to Joe? No, I did check that. There's no relation to Joe. He's from Worcester, and of course, Joe's from okay. up in up in Yorkshire. Well, no, 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 no relation that that gets cited on the on the usual websites. But the reason why I found this interesting was that uh, this was the the, the badlands of, of uh, Ashes Test cricket in England still being played over three days until the final mm-hmm. Test match when they would open it up and play a timeless Test. So the first four four Test matches were drawn, uh, of course, being three day affairs Fun. and. And and they you know and they still found time for a rest day. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous in Australia. By contrast, <laughs> in twenty four twenty five, in twenty four twenty five and twenty eight twenty nine, Australia. And I think I'm right in saying thirty two thirty three. Although I'm less sure about yeah. that, they were timeless Test matches. So you had this enormous contrast between the playing conditions um, from you know between mm. England and Australia, and the fact that even the the fifth Test of an Ashes series in England could be played um, over unlimited days. But it did mean that it mm. was very very hard to to get a result. And there were other unintended consequences as well, which um, falls right into Fred Root. So Fred Root um, was a, a seamer uh, and, and quite an, an effective seamer at that. He took 207 first-class wickets in uh, in 1925, so forcing his way into sort of national, international consideration. Um, but okay. um, it's not his bowling that interests me, it's his batting, and it relates to the three-day test problem. So the three test matches he played uh, were mm. all three-day affairs, so he didn't get a bat. And to this day, he has the longest test career without getting a bat for his country. So he played three <laughs> test matches without batting. No one else has managed to pull that off in a completed career. So there you wow. go. That, okay. that's, that, and he is the 224th uh, yeah. player for England in test cricket. So it, it probably he, isn't Fred Root, but he does hold a little bit of cricket history. He's the Jody Hicks of England test cricket. <laughs> that's <Root>. right. 
he is. We should, when we get when we get Jody on the show, and we intend to, um, for those who haven't um, uh, heard about Jody Hicks before, scroll back a few episodes, and you can hear about her incredible story. Uh, how infrequently she's she's been able to bat for her WBBL franchise, despite turning out like forty times, um, which Jeff went through in the Statman segment. Uh, but yes, she, she has an ally, a kindred spirit, if you like, in 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 the late Fred Fred Root. I nearly called him Fred Cook, mm. of course. Fred Cook, the the former <laughs> Port Melbourne full forward. Uh, the, the, oh the yeah, guy. obviously that's where my mind would have gone. <laughs> Uh, no, uh, Fred, Fred Root, uh, Peter Cook, and, and Dudley Moore, Fred, Fred Root, and Jody Hicks. So there is my um, alternate suggestion for two, two, four. In any case, thank you so much. It's a very generous contribution, and we're enormously grateful. As we've as we've said um, over the last few weeks, if not for Nerd Pledge, uh, there, there is no way uh, we'd still have a podcast given the the shutdown at the moment and everything else that's going on. So um, thank you enormously to those who've, who've jumped on in, in recent weeks and uh, and been so so kind to, to help us do what we're still doing. And by that, I don't mean we wouldn't be able to make the show but um, because Jeff and I have frankly very little other work uh, we're relying heavily on the podcast now more than ever before so um, it does mean an awful lot so so thank you uh, everyone who's jumped on recently thank you to Abhilash Singh for the 224 and the other one we'll do today will be from Sarah Vale who has sent through 241 what does 2.41 or 241 yeah well, well, two, you, well, 241 was, was um, sort of an innings which I tend to use to pivot to another. <laughs> so it's the famous Sachin innings, isn't it? It's the 241 yes. at Sydney in, in uh, 2004, which I was at. Uh, when when you, they made 700 or whatever it was. 707 when, when they came back and batted on the third oh, morning God. with party, party time. Patel was on debut, wasn't he, Partiv? <laughs> That's right. Came out and they gave him a stick on, 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 the, uh, on the third morning so they could thoroughly drive Australia's nose into it. The Steve War. Farewell test that the working logic from India rightly being that they they could uh they could um they could um, ensure that Australia couldn't win before trying to win it themselves and they came pretty close anyway um but yeah I I you know there's that the the Sachin innings is famous because you didn't play a cover drive for the whole thing am I right in saying Jeff was yep. the, was the Spot on. Mytho- mythology around that um the, the bloke who did play a lot of drives though in that innings was uh, Vivius Lachman he made 178 it's without doubt without a doubt the best aesthetically best innings I've ever seen I'll never see I don't think a prettier innings than, than Luxman's uh, that day or those couple of days on day one and day two in Sydney. He struck 30 boundaries. You watch the highlights, which I did a couple of months ago. Uh, like 15 of them must be on drives. He's just incredible how well he bats. And yeah, 30 boundaries out of 178. So 120 runs in boundaries, yet he faced something like 400 balls, which shows the contrast as well. He was he was scoring in boundaries and, and occupying the crease for long swathes of time to give the Australians not a not an absolute mm. sniff. So he and Tendulkar batted together um, for ages, and, and Sachin went on to make, as I say, 241 by the time they they closed their innings. So it, it could be that, as it is a very famous test innings. But yes, if you if you are looking for something else to watch, uh, pull up the, the Laxman 178 on YouTube. It, it's very special. So Sarah very Vale, very very may, special actually. <laughs> very very special. So she, she may be a big Tendulkar fan. Sarah Vale may have been there that day be, be harking back to that the thing that i thought about when i saw 241 was okay it could be Sachin, but it also it, it jumped out to me as this sort of ideal unexceptional yet quality spell in one day international cricket mm-hmm. you know a bowler who's taken two for 41 that's that's the perfect sort of got the job done bowling yeah, contribution absolutely. in a one day game and and the player that jumped out to me was Xavier Doherty. I thought that's the kind of figure Xavier Doherty would have had, you know, mm-hmm. um, get in there, steady, do the job, two for 41. 
it turns out he never actually took two for 41. He got none <laughs> for 41 a few times. But I had a look at two for 41s to see if they came up. And they do come up quite a lot in, in one-day cricket. So my sort of idea that it was the perfect spinner's contribution, there's a lot of players who've got two for 41 on three occasions or more. Um, and a lot of spinners who've done it, Imran Tahir, Rashid Khan, Saklan Mushtaq, Daniel Vittori, Ravindra Jadeja, Shakib Al-Hassan, all these kind of players who've come up. Brett Lee and Shane Lee both took two for 41s. Nice little brothers in arms fit. Was Shane Lee's? Um, uh, where, where was Shane? Was Shane Lee's at Melbourne in 1999 by chance? Uh, that is a very good question. I don't think I have. That's okay. Full I, just, I have a, I have a recollection me. of Shane Lee bowling in a one day with Brett um, early in Brett's career and, and doing a, a really good job in the middle overs in a rain reduced game. It probably isn't that, but just a nice memory it, I have of Shane Lee. It's at the Docklands, Shane Lee versus oh, South right. Africa they, when they played indoors. That oh yes, in, uh, in I was two thousand. I was there for those as well. Funnily enough, <laughs> <laughs> surprise, surprise. So that's so Brett Lee got a couple and Shane Lee got one. Um, yeah. Lance and Chris Cairns, father and son, also got two for forty ones. But then Muhammad Sami did it four times, Wazim Akram did it five times, and the king of the two for 41s, Mataya Muralitharan, six times in one-day international cricket. Wow. Uh, so it's definitely not going to be anything to do with that, but but, but that's that's what I looked at was how many bowlers took two for 41. <laughs> well, I wonder, I wonder where it's skewed uh, in, in terms of the, the years because two for 41 was a very good contribution for a very long time. Indeed, it, it probably wasn't a great contribution if you go back to, to 80s one-day cricket when mm. like that would have been seen a bit as expensive, like a little bit on the pricey side, <laughs> um, and then through the nineties, it became probably the norm. The two thousands, yep. the early two thousands, it would have been you know pretty good return. Now it would be an excellent return. If you go for two for forty one. I mean, you've not only done your job, you're you're in the you're in the mixer for man of the match yep. or player of the match, I should say. So yeah. the so it'll be funny to see how that skews over time. Put it this way, Jeff: the next time someone takes two for forty one in a one day international, let us know and we'll make a big deal about it on the final. Word, that's for sure. We are, we are going to notice, believe you me, we'll be on the lookout. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think I reckon if you get none for 40 these days, you've played a blinder as a bowler. Yeah. If you pick yeah. up a couple of wickets into the bargain, then then you're um, you're not buying drinks that night. It's Boomer, isn't it? Boomer often will take none for a one for sort of 30 or 40 odd in a one day because teams are, are reluctant mm. to go after him. Like they're sort of priced in that they can't um, hit this bloke early on. It's too risky. Yep. So it's funny how one day cricket has emerged to kind of allow a bit of conservatism in the first 10 overs. It's India's blueprint, mm. really, with uh, with Rohit and Shikhar. Usually, they'll what, their power play might average, I don't know, off the top of my head, 45 or 50, which is still plenty, but it's nowhere near the sort of explosive power plays that we might have seen 10 or 15 years ago when, when the working logic was you do your, your damage yeah. early on and then you sort of capitalise after that. Now it's all about how many wickets in hand for the for the back end of the innings where you can unleash your power hitters. Or the Brendan McCullum style power players where it would be, you know, get get seventy off of those six overs and then then go from there. So if you yeah. want to play Nerd Pledge, you go to patreon.com P A T R E O N dot com slash the final word and you'll find us there and then you can uh, send us a pledge that'll help support the show, keep the lights on and the wheels turning through the lockdown and uh I suppose we're done here. That's the end of Nerd Pledge. Thank you, Indeed Sarah Vale, and thank you, Abhilash Singh. Yes, thanks again. Thanks to everyone who's been involved recently. As I said, it makes a massive, massive difference, and we're enormously grateful, as we are for, for Harsha Bogle for giving us uh, his time way back in December 2018. And, and here is that feature encore edition of our interview with Harsha Bogle. So, 
Jeff, this is our Christmas special on The Final Word with this episode going out as people are joining their families, maybe jumping in the car for a long drive back for Christmas dinner. And a man who has spent many Christmases in Australia on our shores is Harsha Bogle, our special guest today. We're recording this episode before the Perth Test match, but it's an opportunity to go through the life and times of the man who has been for so long the voice of Indian cricket. Harsha, thanks for joining The Final Word. Thank you, Adam. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah, many, many uh, Christmases, many New Years in, in this country, the millennium. Change 99, 2000. I was here too, Darling Harbour. So, really? so many memories. You, yeah. you were here. I, w- I was watching the violent femmes in a paddock uh, somewhere <laughs> near Torquay. When I tell that to most people, they say, but uncle, I was three years old or something. So. <laughs> what was the first summer you spent out here? Was it 1991, 92? Yeah, ni- 91. Uh, I remember it with great fondness because from a broadcasting point of view, it just changed my life completely. The reason I have such a such an emotional attachment to this country is every time I came here on my first two or three tours, my life got better in some way or the other. 91, 92, coming here was, I, I came here as wide-eyed, gauche. I didn't know what to expect. I'd done three test matches a bit here, over seven years maybe. Uh, I'd only been abroad once to England before that, didn't know anything about Australia. Missed a flight because I hadn't got exchange on time. I landed up at, what, 8, 8.30 in the morning for 11 o'clock start at the Gabba. <laughs> so, I mean, everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. But the ABC was just magnificent to me. And I, I, I remember writing in the ABC book, I just got into that box. I met the first few people and I thought, I think I like it here. That sounds very familiar, the ramshackle way you got to the ground. Jeff and I have been in similar circumstances many times in our <laughs> freelance adventure. Times. I mean, you, you are, as well as being... Uh, one of the defining voices of, of cricket broadcasting. You are still a freelancer, aren't you? And, and that goes all the way back to the start when you were here in 91, 92. Paint a picture for us as to the sort of work you were doing to, to pay your yeah. way. Well, freelance in a sense. But I mean, I've got television contracts. I've got digital contracts. But, uh, but yes, I'm not an employee as such. I don't go to work to a television network every day. But when I came here in 91, 92, uh, I was being paid to do two newspaper reports every day because an afternoon paper in Mumbai. So I had a lunchtime deadline. So as soon as the last ball was bowled, I'd pull out, oh, well, I started before, actually, pull out the manual typewriter and go clattering away at it. (laughs) And if the ribbon got old, you wanted to protect the ribbon for a little while. So you put a carbon paper Uh so that it became darker at the back, but then Mm. you were spending more on the paper. And then you had to find a fax. Fax had just arrived. Whoa. Can you imagine? Fax had just arrived. The new technology. Find a fax. So I, yeah. at, at the Gabba, I'd go running out of the Gabba, go to the first signal, turn right. There was a Queensland motel over there. Uh, I think it might have been at the Walter Street end. And there was a Sri Lankan who ran it then. He would fax it for me and charge me only the cost of the, of, of the telephone line. <laughs> and then come running back, do the radio stints. And then go back and do an, a, a close-up play report. Then one at the end of the week for, the, uh, for a magazine, which would get translated into Marathi and go into Marathi magazine. And then uh, we had, you're going to laugh at this. Nobody even knows they existed. We had video magazines in those days because 91 was still only one state-run television channel. We didn't have a second channel in India. We just mm. had one state-run television channel. So we had video magazines that came out every month or every fortnight. It was like a, vari- it was like a variety program, you know, like a magazine. Only the magazines on video. so And, I had, and they would broadcast this on, on Freedom. No, sell VHS tapes. Oh, sell VHS, oh my God. Sell VHS tapes. <laughs> so, b- because people wanted to see something other than just the Doordarshan, there's, there's a state-owned television network. Right. So I had to do that as well from here. Now, how do you do that? So I'd open the yellow pages, find a cameraman there. The cameraman would come with his kit, and then we'd, we'd go around doing our interviews, doing our whatever stories, and then uh, I would put all that back in, send it by courier Onto back to India. a VHS India. tape. No, it, well, I, I couldn't believe it because 
Betacam had just arrived in Australia. Oh. And the great thing about Betacam was that you could edit one or two or three generations down. Because in India at that time, we were still using the old U-Matic tapes. I don't know if anybody knows U-Matic, half-inch tapes. On low-band U-Matic, if you, if you edited three times, you went three gens down, it became black and white. <laughs> or, or you got these scratches coming on it. So Betacam was Well, I like, remember wow. it just with VHS editing, you'd lose so many generations just in, you know, even in one transference. So. Mm. And, and then you'd go on your VCR and put the tracking in to take all the audio disturbances away. So yeah, it, was, it was very different. But but doing commentary, the ABC didn't pay me because uh, I was supposed to be the visiting commentator. So, so they assumed you were being paid, paid by, by All else. India Radio, but right. All India Radio didn't even know I was coming. <laughs> the, the good thing that happened to me, and you know, so did you just bluff them? Did you just show up and say, no, no, no. "Oh, hello, no, ABC, I'm, I'm officially I, here for duty"? Reporting. I knew one name okay. in Radio Australia. His name was Brendan Telfer. I think he used to be Radio Australia, which used to come on the shortwave to India mm. back then. Yep. And a friend of mine called Sharda Ogra knew him. So I, I sent him a letter, and then he said, we do overseas, the person to contact is Alan Marks at the ABC. So I, I faxed Alan Marks something. We didn't have fax at home, so you had to go walk about 200 meters to a business mm. center. You had to fly to Brisbane, there. go to the Sri Lankan <laughs> hotel, and then send a fax. No, no, when, from India. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, <laughs> yeah, I know. And, and he said, send us some of your work. Luckily, my father had recorded some of my commentary on a Dulip Trophy game. So I sent that by registered post because I couldn't afford the courier. I sent that by registered post. I told him what the difference between commentary in India and Australia was, how we delivered 20-minute monologues. We didn't have chats with the experts. So please, when you listen to it, look at it from that point of view. But the ABC were just so good to me. It was incredible. God loves a blagger, don't they? And that's essentially what you've done there. You, you found your way onto your first interview. And they put me in touch with the BBC, which was fantastic. They didn't need to. Well, I mean, but at that point, you, as you said, you've done a handful of test matches over a handful of years, a, yeah. a couple of domestic games. But let's go back to the very start of story you once told me about an under-19s test match in what yeah. would have been the early 80s or maybe the late 70s even, Harsha, where, where yes. you managed to find your way onto the All India Radio broadcast. Tell us that story. I know. There was an under-19 game in Hyderabad. England versus... I don't know if England was India or England versus South Zone. But one of my friends actually playing, one of my schoolmates, I just passed out of school, was playing in that game. And my father turns around and tells me, if there's an under-19 game, shouldn't there be an under-19 commentator? <laughs> How do you fight with that logic? Apart from the fact, of course, that in those days, if your father said something, you said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> my children don't understand that. <laughs> so, I. so I changed two buses, three o'clock in the afternoon. It's blazing hot. I take one bus, go to the terminus, change another bus, go to All India Radio just before it shuts. And I think it set it up because Hyderabad is a, is a small town. Everybody is maximum one degree of separation away. I mean, small, not by world standards, small by Indian standards. So they said, uh, no, you do an audition first. Why don't you do a bit on Yovani? But a year later, I was doing Ranji Trophy commentaries there. And the, as, a, as a 20-year-old? As a 20-year-old, yes. The big advantage with starting young is you're allowed to make mistakes, you know? Right. So you make mistakes at a time when the world is charitable to you. Because if you're starting at 30, you don't have time to make mistakes. You've got to go in straight. When you're starting at 20, 21, they say he's just a kid. He's okay. And I was very lucky. I had a couple of experiences very, very early in life. The first of those in my first game, we we're only doing after lunch because of uh, it's a Ranji Trophy match. Mm. And it was drinks. Now, no commercials. You've got to fill three minutes of drinks, right? So there was a senior broadcaster who'd done many years of commentary. As soon as drinks came on the ground, he quickly read the cards and said... And with that is Harsha Bhogle and walked out of the commentary box. <laughs> I've got three minutes to fill and he's already done the cards. 
And I remember telling myself, it's like it was yesterday. I said, one day I will be a senior commentator and I will fill this entire segment and then pass it on to the kid who's coming. But I had to survive. So, so that was one. The second was in my first year, but about a few months in, we had a makeshift commentary box, which was in the middle of the crowd. They just put up a temporary stand. You, you climbed up a makeshift staircase and did commentary from there. And people were sitting 15 feet below you listening to the commentary. And if you made a mistake in choicest Hyderabadi language, they turned up, looked at you and told you what you thought of them. <laughs> so, you, so I realized then you can't be wrong. And oh, that was such a wonderful learning experience early in life. It's a pretty tough ask, though, to never be wrong. You cannot be wrong in radio unless you lie. I mean, you, you, can, you can make a little mistake here and there. You might identify a player wrong or whatever. But in the pre-television era, nobody knew the ball was being hit on the offside or the onside. Nobody knew the ball was seeming in or seeming out. Nobody knew it was full or short. You just believed the radio commentator. It's amazing so, what... what uh, they can throw at you when you're broadcasting on air and suddenly that you know there are things that you didn't know about at all but th- that you find out you know like this like having the the drinks break thrown at you i yeah. called some uh, tests on sri lanka broadcasting corporation a few years ago did 10 minutes at the start of the day with roshan abasinga who's yes. a, another visiting caller that a lot of abc listeners would know um and after 10 minutes he said all right it's been nice chatting with you i'll leave you with jeff see you later and walked out and that was it i was doing the rest of the test on my own <laughs> um you know interchanging with the singhalese five over sing singhalese and then me doing five overs in English. But with, we all have with our no stories. Yeah. We all have our stories, don't we? I mean, I was supposed to do the test match in, uh, in Chennai, 87 88, India, West Indies. So I've arrived in Chennai and we had this big commentators meeting the day before, which was really a cyclostyle sheet of do's and don'ts, what you're allowed to say and what you're not allowed to say and, and, and whatever. And it's like the BBC version, yeah, yeah. Of, like the list of swear words. <laughs> but it was also, it was cyclostyle, it'd been around. Does yep. anyone know what cyclostyling is? No. I don't think yeah. I do. Tell us. Uh, the old cyclostyling machine where you went round and round and whatever. I, do, I don't know. It was cyclostyle. It, it, uh, it made a new copy look 10 years old. And it I was it told, makes more sense with the action, but the action doesn't really <laughs> come through in the audio video. medium. <laughs> you can't see it on a podcast. Maybe on that camera, you go like that. There you <laughs> it's go. like Hush is churning butter at this point. If that yes. Okay. There you go. Or like the old ice cream machines used mm. to be, the home ice cream pots. And so I was told, no, you're actually not doing all in your radio. You're doing Radio Trinidad because you're supposed to do a, te- a broadcast for Radio Trinidad. That's two hours. But it's only you. I said, uh, okay, I can see there's a senior broadcaster who'd been assigned to that who didn't like it. So he sort of moved views and then asked me to do that. The only problem was in those days, India played five and a half hours of test cricket, not six. So it meant that you played 10 <laughs> minutes. There was a 20-minute tea interval and then you played one and a half hours. Oh, right. But Radio Trinidad, because they only came in with the time difference for the last two hours, were on for the entire two hours. And there's a 20-minute tea break. Which you were filling on your own. So what do you do? So luckily, uh, the, the, the West Indies manager said, I'll come down for three or four minutes and I hung on to him for dear life for 10 or 15. <laughs> and then one commentator who I'll, who I, I'll remember, I, I still, when I meet him, I say thank you to him. He said, it might be tough, Kamal, I'll come and chat with you during the tea break. You remember those things. So I got these examinations early in life. So whatever mistakes I made, I had the opportunity to make the mistakes early in life. Not that I don't make them anymore, but you made the big ones early. Sounds like such a rich culture of cricket on the radio in India which isn't necessarily the case now I mean you're the narrator of Indian cricket as we said off the top alongside you know Jim Maxwell in Australia formerly Richie Benno um, you, you think about uh, CMJ in the UK and, and, and Jonathan Agnew these days and, and, and for those different nations that they've got their their major broadcasts year in year out all India radio and, and other Indian broadcasters they've moved away from having test match commentary what do you attribute that to? The moment television came in all India Radio bowed and said, sir, please conquer us. 
and take over and and just lost it i mean uh what the abc does really well and what test match special does really well is not try to compete with television television is a monster you cannot compete with television but there's a lot of things television cannot do mm. television cannot be warm it cannot be intimate it's mm. intimidating it cannot be intimate because there's these pictures you know the the, the pictures that assault you almost for a broadcaster there's mm. these pictures there so there's a lot of things television cannot do and what the abc and bbc do well is they make it chatty friendly what a cmj's line uh, you, you just this you assume this people leaves dropping on on a friendly conversation mm. so that that that's what radio does but uh, all india radio didn't try to do that and they had 20 people on that panel it was embarrassing to listen to and luckily i didn't have much to do with them once once television came along it's extraordinary that difference between the mediums and it's something that i find myself sometimes even being at a match when there's a close finish I'll sometimes leave uh, where I can see the, the field. I'll, I'll go down a stairwell or something and put the headset on and just listen to the radio call because I feel a more intimate connection sometimes with, with the story of the match when I'm just hearing it and not actually being distracted by the visual of it itself. It, it's, it's a beautiful it, medium, isn't it? I mean, if, if someone asks, in all honesty, if, if you injected a broadcaster with a truth serum and said, what do you enjoy doing? Forget where your, where your livelihood comes from. forget where the man on the street recognizes you from because that's a big part of television which people won't tell you about but it's a buzz and say purely as a, as as a journalist what would you like to do if anybody said television i'd like to i'd like to i'd like to inject a truth serum as i said mm. radio is just such a beautiful medium you're the star in radio and we've seen that you and i adam as well with doing radio broadcasts when you have a, a caller who's jumping between the two they come into the radio box and they suddenly relax <laughs> oh, they yeah. lean back in their chair they yeah. put their feet up and they and they start playing shots and they start having fun and and they feel, they seem so much happier yeah in, they're in, liberated by the medium i mean even last yeah. year when we were doing the women's world cup jumping between the television box and the radio box i yep. know as soon as we walked Off the, off the TV where you had to talk to the pictures or, or not, as it were. You're limited by yeah. ad breaks at the end of every over and so forth and, and the fact that you're meant to let the pictures do the talking. Sometimes radio, you see you a little bit of cricket a, between the ad breaks. Yeah, sure. Whereas radio, your job is to, to colour in the yeah. gaps and, and, and the space has got to be filled and you can, as Jeff, you say, play and, all your shots and, and eventually bring people in. Yeah, eventually, Adam, what is our sport? Why are we stopping what we're doing and doing... looking at all other options looking at cricket instead why do we love cricket because cricket's a big live play of emotion cricket's cricket's just a story it needs narrators it needs storytellers cricket is a is a giant show of emotion that's going on but it's real unlike in the movies where it's scripted the end is written first maybe some and then you start working the plot around that mm. but you know what the end is going to be and so all the emotions are almost contrived because they are written in to suit an end Whereas here, it's, it's, it's a live, real-life show of emotion. So we need time and space to tell people the story of the game. When did you make your mind up that cricket was going to be it? Because you had other academic qualifications. You'd worked yes. in finance. You came from a, a rich history or a family history of academia. Um, but you made a decision to, to shelve all of that and, and double down on cricket. How did you arrive at that decision? And was there any pushback from your family at the time no. who may have wanted you to have maybe followed in their footsteps? I, I grew up in a very... happy laid-back town called Hyderabad, which in those days didn't have ambition as its middle name. So everyone was happy. I had a big break in life when 
I don't know how. I didn't deserve to be in there. But I got into India's number one management school. Maybe I just had an interesting CV. But I went to that management school, Adam, and I'm looking at people around me. And I told myself, how on earth did I make it here? Because just the sheer academic talent around me was huge. But salaries in those days were very low. I, I, I got a starting. I got a job in advertising. I'd been working for three or four years. And luckily, my wife was working and she had a flat in Bombay. If you got a flat in Bombay, you kidnap a girl. <laughs> she was luckily. We, we, so I just got married, packed my bag and moved in. <laughs> so and, our, and most important, we weren't in love with money. Our, uh, our needs were small. So in those days, we used to say it's income minus saving equal to expenditure. So you had to save because you didn't know what tomorrow brought for you. So saving was mandatory. Unlike today, where it's income minus expenditure. There's anything left that's saving, isn't it? Because people live beyond their means. So we learned to live within our means. And so I was able to take a chance because my wife was working. Our expenses were low. And it wasn't that I got up one morning at a eureka moment saying, I'm going to go. One of the big joys of graduating out of the premier management school is, you know, if it doesn't work out, you can go back to advertising and get mm. a job again. That was a, that was a huge relief. So, and then one thing just led to the other and... And then TV came, Harsha. I mean, we know you as a radio yeah. voice in Australia. You're doing Fox Sports at the moment, but primarily the way that, well, certainly Jeff and I have got to know you has been the ABC's visiting caller, yes. that intimacy we talked about before, about um, over, over successive tours, we, we knew who Harsha Bogle was, we knew the way you told a story and so on. And it's a long relationship. You it know, is. It goes back a long way for I mean, us. I feel yeah. like I've known does, you. Does TV build relationships with, with people? I'm not sure whether it does. I mean, I think the four on nine did. The four on nine did in their pomp. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but, but radio's purpose-built for it. So even yes. though you and I have known each other for a couple of years, Harsha, I feel like I've known you for 20 years. Mm. There's, that, that, there's that difference there. But you did go to TV, and that's where you made your name and made your celebrity. I mean, you're rocking around with over 8 million Twitter followers, which is, is a blunt measure, but illustrative look, of what TV can do. In the, look, and, let's and look at it as a percentage of population. Yeah, maybe so, but <laughs> yeah. you, you, that, that sure. TV life you've led, that, that's a... What's it like being a celebrity? I mean, you've gone from being a freelancer, developing photos in your bathroom, yeah. know, talking about writing two newspaper reports and blagging your way yeah. onto radio. That's one thing. That's one thing that Jeff and now I Now he's got other people with. trying to take photos with him in the yeah, bathroom. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> but what, what, what number, have, the number of selfie requests. Precisely. But what we'll never identify with probably is that is that celebrity. Like, What's it like yeah. with people view you that way and the, the adoration that you have in India especially? It makes you feel very humble, to be honest, because I often tell myself, why on earth? It's just me, you know? It's just So I've often told people, why? I mean, it's, it's just me, right? And I still haven't come to terms with the fact that people want to come and take selfies with you. When we do our corporate talks, it often takes about 20, 25 minutes to leave the hall because everybody wants a selfie. You go to a place like Indore, for example, you can't get out of the, uh, of the uh, airport because everybody wants a selfie. And especially the cricketers aren't around then they make do with what's next best, right? So, <laughs> so you're not the star, but you're the next best. So it's all right. I've got, I've got somebody. But you cannot let that get to you. I, I've, I've seen a lot of people who got recognized and who started to play to that image. And then suddenly, well, next time you meet them, they're different people. Mm. I think you must have support systems around you when you start to get famous where there's people telling you you're going wrong. I, mean, I remember Anita telling me one day, she said, by the way, you were a bit rude to that man. And I said, oops. Sorry, I didn't realize it. But she will tell me at all times, she's, she's my, as I say, she's my anchor and she's my wings. She's, she's both. But uh, you must have someone around you. So I keep telling a lot of these kids as well. I remember telling Rahul Dravid once when he was just coming up. I said, whatever you do, don't marry a fan. Because you must have somebody at home who's setting the balance right. I don't know how it works with these young kids who don't want to hear anything said against them. 
And the moment someone says something against them, they say, there, he's villain. No, you need someone to have these checks and balances. So you cannot, you, it, it opens a lot of doors for you. I must tell you, it opens a lot of doors for you. It gets you upgrades on flights sometimes. It gets you good hotel rooms. It, it, does, it does a lot for you, but you've got to be aware that it's, it's fleeting. It's not there tomorrow. And in some fundamental sense, it's, it's, in a way, it's a denial of your identity as an actual person because, you know, someone who doesn't know you is, is talking to you as though they do or they're recognizing yeah. you as, as something. They have a relationship with you, but it's a one-way relationship. Yes. And, and they have a relationship with an image or an idea of you that's not the actual person. I imagine that must be, yeah. you know, in an existential is, sense, yeah. quite confusing. The only issue is everybody wants a little piece of you. So I, I mean, I can imagine what it must be like being a Tendulkar or a Dravid because everybody, everywhere you go, wants a piece of you. Mm. And you actually want some days to say, you know what, can I go somewhere where I will not talk cricket? Yep. But but can you imagine if you met uh, a movie star or or you met someone who was in the movie industry, you would want to talk to them about movies, wouldn't you? Because, so everyone wants to talk cricket to you, and we are we are a country that's obsessed that's obsessed with cricket. So I find refuge in my classmates from my management school, who knew me before I'd done television. So to them, he's just this guy who used to walk around in a in a towel in a. In a hostel, yeah, and You'll I have find to speak up. Yeah, I find refuge in that. So, yeah, I'm interested in your relationship with Australia because you know, as, as Adam and I said, we've we've been hearing you for for decades coming out here, and you're you're very. I like the way you said decades. It suddenly makes me feel older. Well, it, you know, we, we could say sagacious, um, <laughs> eminent. They're mm. much nicer. They're all, they're all different ways of saying the same thing. They are. Um, yeah. They're all they're all euphemistic, but. You do have you're you're very well loved here. It's it's interesting to me that um, you know plastered Australian cricket fans on the way out of the ground will they know who you are and they want to come and talk to you. You know you've managed to establish this relationship with with Australia and with Australia. Often often they they know me by voice, mm. not by face. Right. So the, a couple of tours ago we were just outside Melbourne on the way to that on on the Great Ocean Road somewhere we'd stopped somewhere and I went and bought an ice cream there four or five of us I went and bought an ice cream and I said can I have some ice cream and he just looked up to me and said you I said yes he said I know that voice <laughs> so people know me know me by because I, an Indian accent let's face it an Indian accent was very very rare on the Australian radio waves yeah. when I came there was Vijay Chakrapani till the 60s but and then he moved. He, he settled down in Australia. But otherwise, an Indian accent was rare. So I was a curiosity, right. saying, "Who's this guy with an Indian accent?" Because the feeling was Indians don't speak English. So I'd actually I'd get people stopping me and saying, "Did you learn your English in England?" I said, "No, I never went abroad till I was twenty-seven, twenty-eight. Mm. So it's uh, <laughs> we we speak English in India. We speak this, so. But but what I liked about Australia more than anything else was was the egalitarianism in Australian society. I mean, you can anyone could come up and have a chat with you. I like the openness, and I like the fact that you could disagree and be friends. It's very important to me that you disagree and be friends. As 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 a kid, my father had made me read a lot of French because my father taught French, so I studied French as a kid, and. He, he told me the lines from Voltaire. He said, I may never agree with you, but I will fight to the death for your right to say what you want mm. to. And as a, as a kid, I was saying, I said, yeah, what a great way to live. And when I came to Australia, I saw that happening, that you were allowed to have a point of view and it was okay. You could still have a drink at the end of the day. Yeah, you said it to me before that you like you the robust nature yeah. of the Australian back and forth on radio or on television. That David Hooks taught me that. Yeah. David Hooks taught me that many years ago. Mm -hmm. He said, an Aussie will come hard at you, mate. 
He said, whether it's on the cricket ground or in the commentary box, an Aussie will come hard at you. But if you stand up to your point of view, he'll respect you. If you buckle under, he, he won't care too much for you. Right. Harsha, in, in 2016, you, you stood up for yourself. That it was a, a challenging year for yes. you. You became a massive target, which is almost a flow-on from what we talked about with your celebrity. I mean, you'd worked in the IPL in Season 1 for the Mumbai Indians, but then you became kind of the, the narrator of it, the voice of it through the commentary. And then a perception that you were, quote, a biased commentator um, was, was the end of your time working as the, the, the TV commentator on that particular broadcast. Um, that must have been galling, uh, having your integrity brought into question, question in such a pronounced way. Uh, h- how did you deal with that process and how did you kind of bounce back so quickly? I tried to explain to people that there is a difference between a biased commentary and an India-centric commentary. I was doing the World T20. Yep. The World T20 was going, the, the world feed was going all over the world. It was an India-Bangladesh game. So there were people in Bangladesh just as passionate as us in India mm. listening into the telecast. I cannot mount an India-centric telecast when it's going to Bangladesh and Pakistan and everywhere. If I'm doing a Hindi telecast that's only going to India, and we all do Hindi commentary as well, you can be India-centric, but at no point should you ever be allowed to be biased. So I tried to explain to people that you have to present both points of view. But uh, we're going through a phase which is a slightly dangerous phase in broadcasting all around the world where broadcasters are expected to stand up for the country they come from. Mm. And I found that very difficult to come to terms with. But luckily, there's, there's, there's a lot of us who still, who still think that way. But uh, I hope the day doesn't come when you're expected to be a cheerleader for your side. And it's not just India, is it? Do you remember those images from the 2015 Ashes? Of, I yeah. think it was Mark Taylor and Ian Healy wearing I, the yeah, team. I, I remember an article about. I remember an article about Channel Nine <laughs> and the mateiness. <laughs> yeah. so the mateiest mates who ever mated, if memory serves me correctly, was a defining line from that piece of writing. To the man to my right, the last, a, of the last of the mated seems seems un- unlikely, but uh, anyway, it, it's, yeah. uh, it didn't didn't win me a lot of friends in some quarters. <laughs> it uh, doesn't. But, but I, I remember reading that, and I think we might have met there in Brisbane over, over a little lunch, and suddenly everyone's yeah. saying, who's, who's this Jeff Lemon, you know, who's taken on <laughs> Channel 9? But I like the fact that you can do that and still have a broadcasting home in this country. So, you so were you under pressure when you did that? Um, I, I think it was I, – I was, I was being looked at sideways by, by colleagues who were saying, um, you know, it's good that you wrote that, but, but the, the subtext was we're keen to see what happens next. Yes. You know, we, we want to see what happens because you've stepped out of line. You're, you're not supposed to criticise other people who work yeah. in your industry. But I've, I've tended to feel that if I can't be honest and, and give an honest opinion on something, I shouldn't be here, I shouldn't be yeah. working here. So, so. I, was, I was told, for example, what, six days before the start of the World Cup, before the start of the IPL, my bookings are done, everything's done, saying, sorry, but we can't have you this year. Mm. And and that's it. Just as abruptly no, as that. No more. No more. Yeah. 2016. And you know what? It turned out to be a big advance, big move for me in my career. In my career, because all of a sudden this word went around. Oh, I, I made a couple of mistakes there, though. I retweeted two tweets that I should not have retweeted. One of them. If those said, are the worst of your mistakes yeah. <laughs> at the end. No, of your life, no. I, one of them said it's 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 like a pizza without the cheese and toppings on it. Listening to the broadcast without you is like a pizza without the cheese and mm. toppings on it. And I was going through a phase that I regret now. I was angry for a couple of months. You should never, ever be angry in life, but that's tough to do. You shouldn't be angry on the internet, at least. So, well, I only retweeted two. Yeah. That's all I did. Mm. And I wrote a, a Facebook post that just went viral everywhere saying, I do not know why I've been asked this, but I still have a home in Star. I'm still happy and whatever, whatever. That home in Star was soon to vanish. Uh, as as a result of, of of all that happened, and suddenly the new stickers were on talking about it. There were 
chat shows where this was being brought up. There was Pranay Roy, the father of Indian news television, asking Shah Rukh Khan on a program, saying, what do you think, why is he not there? And Shah Rukh Khan is saying, oh, we like him as a broadcaster, he must be there. What it did to me, without me realizing, is what it suddenly raised my profile in India, where I could <laughs> never have taken it. And then these kids, kids came in. I promise you, they were kids. They're as old as my, as my older son. These kids came in and said, we're running this website called Crick Buzz. And sir, will you, everyone's sir, right? Right. Sir, will you? And I remember telling Anita, I said, you know, all our life, that's what we've done. We said, let's give it a go. What's the worst thing that will happen? It won't work, right? And in our first year, we did 200 million video views. And I told them, I don't mind if it's 12. But if it's 12, tell me it's 12. Because if you tell me it's a million and it's 30,000, I'll, I'll, I won't like it. And they said, no, these are verifiable by Google. And suddenly we discovered that there is a three, four-minute video storytelling platform that was, that was waiting to be discovered. So I suddenly made a, made a connect with younger, younger people. Yeah, so you've expanded your audience, but that, that kind of speaks to your perennial freelancer nature, yeah, doesn't yeah, it? You, you saw an opportunity, and you didn't necessarily know whether it would be successful. You backed in these young blokes who've gone on and created this beast. Which yeah, you know, I mean, people can shut doors on you, but as I keep telling people, the breeze flows in through the windows. Does that, does that must be keep you young and youthful as well. Like you say, you've developed a, a new base of people that, that follow your videos at Stumps each night yeah. and throughout your, your, uh, your, your yeah. travelling the world with the Indian cricket team. It, it must be gratifying having this whole new group of people who maybe aren't following the cricket in traditional means or listening to you on the wireless or watching on television who now understand uh, your, your take on the game. Digital is the most beautiful thing that's happened to sport because it's taken all the goalkeepers away. You know, when we were kids, mm. uh, well, the gatekeepers away, really. When we were kids, there was a, there was a cruel sub-editor there. Yep. Your article never got past the sub-editor. And then there was a television producer, well-meaning, but the television producer who had to cater to his television, his television needs. He needed the big names, whatever, whatever. So there was always a gatekeeper between you and the and the average punter following following the game. Television, uh, digital has taken that away. Now suddenly you reach him directly, and if he likes you, he follows you. If he doesn't like you, or she doesn't like you, she doesn't follow you anymore. So, and as two of you have realized as well, suddenly it opens up pathways that you never thought were possible. It allows free speech. It allows it's it's fantastic what digital has done. And a related comment that you made that I found very interesting was uh, the need to be versatile. When yes. if you're freelancing, you have to be able you to do no everything. Yeah. Yeah, you have absolutely no choice. You have to be, in, in the days gone by, you had to be able to write an 800-word article, a 3,000-word article, a 45-second piece for the BBC, a whole-day broadcast, a telecast. If you got to be the front man, as I did, or without knowing at all what a front man required, I did my first telecast as a live front man. That was the first time I'd won a earpiece in my life. <laughs> I had no clue what a live telecast entailed. A director in your ear telling you what to do? Never heard that. Didn't even know yep. that that was what it was. Yeah. Sometimes it's good, you know, because you don't go in with preconceived ideas of failure. It's daunting when you get it wrong, I assure yeah. you. <laughs> had, Adam and I had exactly that same experience. Uh, yeah. Women's World Cup last year, had, I don't think either of us had done television commentary. You pop that earpiece in and suddenly there are not just a director, but six. So there's a guy in the truck yeah. and there are cameramen and there are eight people talking while you're trying to commentate. Yeah. No one had told me that this was a thing that happened. I'd done radio, but not TV. But you were doing commentary. You're not, you're not doing a piece to camera, were you? Yeah. Now, if you're, doing, if you're doing commentary, you can still squint your eyes a little bit and whatever strain hard to listen and still talk but you can't do that if the camera's on you right. so the camera's on you you've got this beautiful you know this beatific smile on your face <laughs> and there's actually all kinds of things going on so you know in the, in the, in the yeah. early days even now at the end of a day waist downwards my legs would pain because 
waist upwards, you've got to look like you're enjoying life. But it's like the, it's like the duck, you're paddling furiously beneath. Mm. So my legs would be digging in to the ground because I was, I was tense, but I couldn't look tense. So I'm smiling, but I'm actually very tense. So my legs would hurt at the end of the day and I'd not walked half it's, a kilometer. It's, it's kind of a great metaphor for, you know, the, the turmoil that goes on in people's heads where they're yeah. smiling blithely outside and have voices in their head on the inside. There's a, yeah. a lot of us who feel like that. I think. And, I, and I didn't know what shirt to, wear, to go with, what jacket, with what tie. I'd just been this casual, informal fellow who only ever had one jacket in life and suddenly I'm expected to wear a jacket and tie. I did not know how to knot a tie. I quickly found a cameraman who did. And so every day I'd come and give my tie to the cameraman, Lawrence Yancy van Rensburg from South Africa. And he would knot a double knot for me. Because the first day I went, I, I, I put my little rat tail knot and yanked it and went there. And he said, that's no detail. Or what, I mean, I'm not good at South African accent. <laughs> so I had to learn everything from scratch. And so was, you've got to be humble. Otherwise, you don't get far. A few months ago, we had a chat. You, you, your view was that the day of the non-playing television broadcaster might have come to an end. I think that the, the quote was, there'll never be anyone else like me. And that wasn't a pumping your own tyres up. That was a, it was almost a, a, a lament a, a lament at the industry yeah. and how it evolved. Uh, but we've seen on Channel 7 last week, um, yeah. Alison Mitchell and Tim Lane, the, the primary two callers. Yeah. Uh, and of course, you're doing Fox Sports at the moment, albeit as the guest commentator. But yeah, all the same, there's yeah, with Isha and Mark Howard. So. Yeah, but Isha's yeah. a former Isha, yeah, former player, but Mark yeah. Howard. So, I mean, maybe the maybe but, there but has still been... to have a female lead, you know, anchoring a, a, a men's test broadcast is you know it's something unusual. very interesting. The yeah. other day, Neroli Meadows told me she said she was in tears when Isha was calling Pujara's hundred. I said, why? She said, I never thought a day would come in Australia when a woman would be calling calling something like this, yeah. and I, I'd be part of a telecast. So, I mean, I think I've always believed you need a storyteller and an expert. The storyteller, the, the narrator, the baller ball man cannot pretend to be the expert mm. because then he loses his standing. Mm. You're gone. You can't do that anymore. Because the moment you say, where's that elbow going? Is the head in line? Where's that going? Where's that going? Sorry, people will ask you, how do you know? You, went, you didn't play test cricket. You didn't. The, the quintessential criticism of a commentator, right? Oh, well, you didn't play professional cricket. How could you possibly know? You, you still get that. Oh, I get that every day. I, 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 I get that every day. But my role is different. And I realized early in life, I said, can I be the non-striker? When I used to play cricket for my university side, I found I was in partnerships where I was making 25, 30% of the runs, but I was in long partnerships. And I said, can I be the non-striker? It's, it's a lovely thought that, that all of us can go through. It, it struck me. Can I be the non-striker? I'll, I'll rotate the strike around. Every time I'm on strike, I'll get off because it's by getting off that I get the lead player in. Mm. And I found that worked for me, but it requires you to be very aware of what you cannot do, which is sometimes as important in life as knowing what you can do. And so it, and, and so it worked. It's, it started to work well for me. But I think there must always be a caller and a summarizer, a storyteller and an expert. You can have the batting average of 55 to tell people what should happen, what shouldn't happen. But hang on. What is the emotion of a guy who's walking out on his first test? His, his, his parents are in tears over there. He's waited 25 years for this moment and he nicks the first ball. How is he feeling? You've got, someone's got to be able to tell that story because the people in, in, in houses want to hear stories. That's what our game is about. It's about emotion. Yeah, and which isn't to say that's, that some former players can't do it. If but, they can, that's great. But the idea that just because you've played that sport, you can just be thrown into the commentary box and can, can helm a broadcast, lead a broadcast, and, and uh, be skilled enough to do that, it's, it's, yeah. it's very some close-minded. Can. Yeah, some can, and if they can do it, they have a huge advantage over mm. people like the three But it still us. takes work. You know, it's, it's still not something you just 
just walk out of your career and, and walk into doing. The person with a batting average of 50 when he retires from international cricket has to forget that he has a batting average of 50 and treat this career with the same rigour mm. with which he treated his career as, as a batsman mm. or bowler. And that's, that's that, what we see very infrequently. Yeah, I, I was going to say, how, how often do you find that, Hush? I mean, you've worked with a lot of former greats who still do. Um, is it more often than not they do take that attitude or is it it's most a, of the time no, some there? Do. Some do. Some do. Uh, my template for work ethic is always Ian Chappell. is just my template for work ethic. Mm. I've, I've seen a young producer go up to Ian Chappell almost scared, this great man in front, and saying, uh, uh, Chappelle, there's a problem. Would you mind doing an extra stint? And he's busy doing his little newspaper report. And he slams the laptop down and says, sure, mate. Up he goes and does it. Mm. I remember one day in Bristol, it was so hot because the studio was all black. It was hot. And I said three or four times, I said, oh, as you can see, it's very hot in here and... As soon as it was done, we came out, nice, fresh air. I get this tap on the back and said, mate, would you mind if I said something to you? I said, Chappelle, you, me, you've got a right. You can say what you want. He said, if Kerry Packer was listening to that, he would have been on the phone just now saying, I'm not paying you to tell people how uncomfortable you are. I'm paying people, I'm paying you to tell people what the story of the match is. If it's zero degrees, mate, it's zero degrees. If it's 45 degrees, it's 45 degrees. It's too bad. Mm. You're being paid to tell the story of the game, not to tell people how uncomfortable you are. Yeah, like you're, I, you're not the story. Yeah. I said, thank you very much, Chappelle. Mm. I'll remember that forever. That's interesting. And it's a great line that you're not the story. When I was doing that Facebook post, I said at the end of it all, I said, I'm getting more attention than I'm comfortable with, but I am not the story. I'm only the teller of the story. Mm. We are not the story. Kerry O'Keefe is the one who who, um, occurs to me as being the most prepared commentator I think I've ever heard in terms of... Cricket tragic. But but the depth of of research and preparation that he would do and, and would bring into the box... Kerry, I, I keep telling Kerry, if there was an under game being played between Nauru and Fiji, you'd watch it and find a conclusion because he will watch it. He's, <laughs> he's just a fabulous old-fashioned cricket lover. But I, I fear he's getting tight as this teller of jokes in the comic. Mm. He's not. He is at heart an outstanding summarizer who follows the game very well, works his backside off. You must see the notes. I mean, he, he writes, his, his alphabets are about, uh, his, the letters he writes are about half an inch big so you only write that much on a page but he is easily the most prepared broadcaster well you see it at the back of the press box when he's finished his commentary stand he comes into the press box which isn't common for a broadcaster to mm. do that sits at the back watches the coverage and, and continues adding to yeah. his huge wad of notes it's, uh, I met it's a an admirable of, quality I met a lot of broadcasters who just turn up don't want to see the rundown they just turn up and it's my job to keep the rundown going, but they haven't seen the rundown, so they don't know what's coming next. So they're just waffling along. And it's my job to rein them in, quickly bring them back. Or the, and these days, one of the problems is we don't have commentary is no longer produced because the producer is so much in awe of the player who's doing commentary. And I've, I've actually heard a couple of people say, how dare you tell me that? You're only the producer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, 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 the balance has shifted, has shifted completely. To what extent do you want to stay in cricket, Harsha, really long term? I mean, I know you've had such a rich career in the sport, but yeah. um, you've, you've done many other things. Now you're in the corporate world, been speaking. You've written books that are both about cricket and not about cricket. Is there a temptation to spend more time at home yes. rather than continually being on the beat full time and being around the world you're for gently. eight or nine months a year or whatever it is? Yeah, you're gently saying that maybe I might be getting on. In no, I'm not. <laughs> I would never say such a thing. Oh. No, but, uh, but it's interesting. I, I love doing cricket matches in England. Yep. And I just, I would never give up the opportunity of coming to Australia. But I found this year when Sony said, we'll do India versus South Africa out of Mumbai. And a part of me said, yeah, that's okay. 
I did tours of West Indies last year and in Sri Lanka. I spent a lot of time just for six wonders in West Indies and mm. a series in Sri Lanka. And I found there were days when I was getting out of bed and I was not bounding out of bed and saying another great opportunity, another day's cricket. I'm thinking of other things. So uh, it does get it does get uh, it does get more difficult also because as you grow older, you become more rigid and more set in your ways. You want things to be a certain way because you've got used to that happening. When you were a kid, if you if, if, if you got a bed or you could just got a mattress on the ground, you slept on that and mm. you were grateful for being able to do cricket the next day. That that changes a little bit. So I uh, yeah. I, also, if I don't do a series, like I didn't do the home series against the West Indies, I opted not to do it because I didn't want to burn myself out. I didn't want cricket to be a drudgery because cricket's been mm. my life. So uh, that, that's starting to happen. I, I will do less, I think, as I go along, I fear. In terms of the changing mediums, the online stuff you're doing, so on, does that help keep a little bit of that interest given that there are new and different ways to go about doing and, similar and there things? And there are so many wonderful young people coming into our profession. I mean, some of the finest insights I get are from social media. There's just this kid sitting somewhere in a small town in India will point out something and says, oh, but actually, you know, he has got out three times like this and whatever, but you did not mention that. And I say, oh, yeah, it didn't strike me. <laughs> There's some intense, uh, amidst all the, all the toxicity and hatred on social media, there's some genuine cricket lovers will come up with things. So, uh, and I think they should all be allowed a voice. They should all be allowed a voice. They should be, I mean... Cricket commentary has to get revolutionised. You need to have four audio channels. Yeah. Are you stopping it, Jeff? Sorry, I think we're still going. It just uh, dropped out for a okay. second. Okay, all right, no worries. Yeah, I'm convinced we need to have four audio channels for a cricket telecast. The pictures are the same. There's four different audio feeds going out, so to each his own. And, and it feels And like one of them without any commentary. I right, mean, big one, thing. One of them, no commentary at all. Just the sounds of the game. The stump mic is on. The scratching of the guard is on. The ball hits the bat. All the sounds of the game are on, but no commentary at all. They're so, so evocative, those sounds. Yeah. You know, the spikes, the little bit of chat. The yeah. But there's a reason I want that. Because I want when people listen to me on a broadcast to have chosen to listen to me rather than <laughs> have no choice and be stuck with me. Yeah, and it was something that, that would come up a lot in the criticism of the broadcasters here that you know, they would say, well, our ratings are you know, X million, so people must like the broadcast. And you'd say, well, it, they, they're yeah, captives. They don't have a choice. If they want to watch the cricket, they have to, there's yeah. no way to distinguish who hates it and who loves it. You must. Why not, why not a nerdy commentary? Where after every ball, someone's pulling out stats like a quick quiz commentary. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, in many respects, when, when we first started doing alternative cricket commentary some yeah. years ago, Jeff and I, that, that there, was, there was a degree of that. Um, it, it was wanting to almost be like a red button option in a pay yeah. television context where people can hear a different version of, of, of that game that they've grown mm. accustomed to for many years. When we did the, did the work in the UAE earlier this year, we, we tried to almost combine the two. It was quite nerdy, but also we How did that to, go? How did that go? Did, was, was it well received, the, uh, the broadcast on the UAE? We, we, I think we, I think it was uh, certainly yeah. the, the feedback we received from people uh, who listened in were, were, were glad that we provided the service, and I think we were able to strike the right note, especially that draw in Dubai. The, the well, we, we got lucky with we an did, incredible yeah. test match. So we, you know, the first one we did was one of the great finishes. You're always lucky when you do cricket, of course. But yeah, I mean, so but in terms of the quality, to come down to the last over on the yeah, last true. day and have you know see one of the great innings ever played by an Australian from Usman Khawaja, it was you know we, we couldn't have. And how good is it? For years, a player called Usman Khawaja would never have been able to play cricket for Australia. Absolutely. Isn't that Absolutely. fantastic? I see so much of that in Australia. I've, I see that as a big change in Australia from when I used when I first came. It's so much more multicultural. There's there's a kid called Jason Sanger who's coming through the yeah. ranks, isn't he, from New South Wales? So there's 
Yeah, this Gurinder Sandhu has played cricket for for uh, for New South Wales. Yeah, we finally yeah. got you know a good half dozen Indigenous players yeah, at the top level. Fantastic, um, you know, playing in the T Twenty sides, the One Day sides. All you need now is, uh, is going to Afghanistan and and bring about ten leg spinners from there. Yeah, well, I'm sure that'll be the next plan in their They're expansion trees, projects they? and so on. They're growing on trees in Afghanistan. They're cranking them out. They've just got the production line going. It, it's almost yeah. interesting that the time you've been coming to Australia, many people would argue that um, we become a less tolerant country. At, at, at the top end in terms of the way we've uh, policy settings have been and so forth but your experience as someone in cricket is that Australia's become yeah. a more inclusive and open country it is but but Adam I don't know if I'm if I'm representative because I see only a part of Australia because I don't work here I don't understand workplace politics mm-hmm. if everyone told me when I first came Australia's is racist country and I go back and say I've never once seen racism mm-hmm. and they say but you, you you haven't worked there maybe there is an undercurrent somewhere and I said I'm lucky not to have seen it because yep. I work in the media. So I do not know if my comments are valid for the greater Australia because I only see a small, very convenient, comfortable part of life in this country. And you're also already liked. You know, you're, you're someone Maybe, that people have yeah. decided that they like ahead of time. So there is an issue, you know, almost any racist in Australia will have some friends who are not white, but yeah. they think those ones, oh, they're fine. That guy's fine because I know him. It's just all the other ones who I don't know. <laughs> but but, you know, that's, that's but the world is heading towards becoming more territorial, very everyone's whether it's through brexit or the u.s or right wing in india but everyone's trying to hang on to their mm. territories so i don't know where the world's going to be after i'm gone you've got an election in india next year which could yeah. mean the ipl is moved i know for those who are listening in australia and aren't overly familiar with the indian political situation why is it so robust or why is it so <laughs> uh, volatile rather that it could end up in a situation where something like a domestic cricket tournament would need to be moved Listen, the elections in India are the world's largest democratic process by a long margin. And we have these electronic voting machines. Every single vote. There's no ballot paper in India anymore, by the way. It's all on electronic voting machines. But you require security. And the whole state machinery is geared to providing security at election booths. And so you cannot have an IPL going on at that time only because the state cannot provide security. And, you know, we are, our part of the world is, is a very violent, turbulent part of the world, you know. I mean, I, uh, to our east, there's trouble. there was trouble in Bangladesh at one point. There was a lot of trouble in Sri Lanka at one point. To our west, there's all kinds of things happening in, in Pakistan and Afghanistan and beyond. Who's, if, who's to know where the next terrorist attack is going to be? India's, been, India's had some terrible terrorist attacks over the years. So you have to have a lot of security around, around IPL cricket matches. So the elections are on. You can't have the IPL mm. on at the same time. Can't you just have people vote at the cricket? Just come to the stadium, <laughs> watch the game, vote. 1.3 billion, you, yeah. you know, when you suddenly realize 1.3 billion and not 25 million, you just say, ah, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I like, I, but I like the system in Australia where voting is, is mandatory. You have to vote. Mandatory and also preferential voting. The, mm. the two yeah. things that we've given the world. Not everyone have taken them up. India, we have a nota option. None of the above. Mm. Oh, you, can, really? you can actually go yeah. and vote. You can say, I don't like any of the candidates. Nota. Well, you, you I'm waiting for nota to win an election. You can do that in Australia, but you do it by drawing a dick on your ballot paper. That, that's, <laughs> that's the time on it. And we would <laughs> never use that word ever on, even on a podcast <laughs> in India. How, how, how cool is that? <laughs> Yeah. Asha, we, we, uh, I, I'm very aware of how busy you are, and as a consequence, I know no, at some point yeah. 
which probably I'm not probably as busy right as time. you are, Adam. The two of you, <laughs> I have no idea how much you do. I'm nowhere near as busy as the two of you. No, but it has been an absolute joy to work yeah. with you and our continued continue chance to do so. Thank you so much for coming on the yeah. Christmas special of The Final Word. Hopefully, as people have driven down to rural Australia or to their family's place on Christmas morning, they've, they've chucked you on and thought, gee, I can't wait to hear him on Boxing Day. That, that's certainly the, certainly the, uh, the impression. No, I, just, I, I, I just hope Australia remains as kind to me. Australia has been ridiculously kind to me. I've never understood why, but that's why this emotional bond with this country. Well, it's a relationship that, that goes both ways, a lot of affection in both directions. So thank you for everything. Pleasure, Jeff. Pleasure. This is The Final Word. Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon. Uh, thanks again to Harsha Bogley. Uh, and thanks uh, to all of you for, for either giving it another listen or, or going back and, and giving this a chance because it's our first Encore edition. Hopefully it'll do well and hopefully we'll do a lot more through the lockdown period. If you want to sign up to the Patreon page, patreon.com slash the final word. If you want to leave us a review or a rating on your podcast platform of choice, that also helps get the show out to people uh, during any time of the year, really. Uh, everybody has to keep saying, during these strange times, these difficult times, these unprecedented times. But in fact, during any time. Uh, any time, <laughs> we also rely on Bad Producer, our production company, exactly. to get the show done and get it out there uh, week in, week out. Thank you to them. Uh, thank you to everyone for listening. Uh, thank you to CBUS for sponsoring the show. And uh, thank you to Adam for being at the other end so that I'm not talking to myself. And to you as well, Jeff. Thanks to everyone. Hope you have nice weekends and we'll talk to you in our normal edition. I suppose you call it of the final word uh, early next week until then bye I ain't protected by the way I ain't fenced in my future questions my current senses that'll be the same we've been doing for centuries sorry if I ran out to empty wrote this so you know what I meant here I had to go about it write it out and find it myself and there's some stories I can tell you should CBUS members have insurance through CBUS Super? Maybe it's because we understand the risks of working in our industries. Maybe it's because we offer cover that is tailored to protect building and construction workers, even those working at heights. Or maybe it's all of these reasons. So why not consider CBUS Super? CBUS for all of us. To consider if CBUS is right for you, visit cbussuper.com.au for a copy of the PDS.